Welcome to the Encounter Christian Church Message Podcast, where we bring you the latest messages from our Sunday services. To find out more about Encounter or to plan your visit with us, you can find us online at www.encounter.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Do you know what? Um, it's funny, with Robbie, um, we met, when did we meet? At my house. In August last year, we had a, a pastor's gathering and um, I know when they walked in to my house, something in my spirit got really excited about what God was doing in our region because these people have showed up. And so before I say anything, I've got a word in my heart and Glenn looked at me before he goes, how are you feeling? And I'm like, whoa, I've got that pre, pre-preached to jitter, you know. But before I bring this word, I just really want to honour um, Pastor Robbie and Kathy because, you know what, my husband and I have been contending for, ch- I'm going to get emotional. You'll, you'll know why once I start talking about my story, but... Um, this is so, like for us, it is so significant that there are people who have come into our region who are like, we are called to build the, to make, to make the Lord's house, to make God's church glorious. It's no small thing. And so there's something in Michael and my heart that gets excited that these people have showed up in our region. And so I just want to honor you guys and the team. Um, you know, Aston, Glenn, we've known them for a long time and our journeys kind of, you know, come and go as we do seasons of life. And I look around here and there's lots of familiar faces. I mean, my family is here. My dad's in the front row, my parents-in-law, but just different people I've done life with and obviously new faces as well. And I'm excited that at the beginning of 2020, that we are looking forward into significant things that God is wanting to do in and through all of us. And particularly, you know, I feel like God is wanting to inspire you to live up to everything that God has put in you to release for your circle of influence what he wants to establish. So just um, thank you for inviting me to bring what God has put in my heart. But I'm just excited for what God is going to do here. So take your seats. High five somebody. Um, Let me just get set up here. I was offered a coffee before church, and um, I don't know, is anyone like me? Like, I mean, you can, I mean, you can have a message that goes for 50 minutes, you can get it down to 20. And so, um, I've got a timer on, because what I, what I really feel to share this morning kind of has a whole lot of different parts in it, because it's really, it's really quite significant for me to be here today, because for maybe those who don't know, I grew up in Tatura. So just down the road, Generations Church was the church that, you know, my dad and a whole lot of others established when I was yay, yay high. And so, um, you know, my journey as, you know, um, a primary school kid, as a teenage kid, and, you know, since then, you know, I got married when I was 20. We've moved around. We've been in Aubrey-Wodonga. We moved to Brisbane um, have come back. We're actually in Tatura, you know, um, in another one of those seasons. But my point is that a lot of my heart has been here. And even in this place in particular, my story has kind of interconnected in different seasons here. And um, even to the point, my dad and I were reminiscing, um, I think I was about 16 and I actually got baptized in this church, which is pretty cool. And so when I started hearing you worship this morning, I was like, oh, dang it, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> because from where I sit now, um, you know, my husband and I have been leading our church in Aubrey Wodonga for eight years. We have three kids, they're 12, 14, and 16. Here we go, get emotional. But like we have been contending for the body of Christ. And 
when I started hearing you worship, I'm like, God, these people are hungry for your presence. And if we stay hungry for the person of Jesus and his presence in our world, if we keep making space for him, it means that what he is intending will actually become a reality on earth. So it's like that song that you were singing, you know, heaven on earth. And I feel like from the beginning, like this wrestle that we face every day is this tension. You know, we are wrestling with our humanity all the time, you know, whereas, you know, God has created us to be naturally supernatural. And I don't know about you, but that gets really confusing at times. Do you find that? Where the things of the kingdom are just not the things of this earth, but God is wanting us to release the things of the kingdom to the earth. And you're like, but God, I just feel like, you know, my humanity is pulling me down to the things of this earth. And God's like, no, no, live up. So what I want to release through you, because there is a heaven that I live in and Jesus came so that that becomes a reality that you live in regardless. So, so in saying that, I want you to open your Bibles to Romans 15. I feel faith in the room. This is fun. This is really fun. Okay, so Romans 15 verse 13 says this. And I want to declare this over you this morning. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. May the God of all hope, this is such a chunky verse, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to declare to you today that 2020 is a year where we all need to have hope-filled expectation about what God is wanting to do. You know, and as I was thinking about this, as I was bringing this message to you, I just couldn't get past, you know, I'm going to share a little bit of my story, but this is just, a, just an impression on my heart as a mum. I was one of those mums who, when my kids were little, I did these epic um, kids' parties. Does any, have I got any mums here who found themselves creating this pattern which then was expected. <laughs> anyway, um, there was a season, we're actually living in Tatura and my son who is now 12 and a half, he was three and my daughter's birthday was the next day. So she was turning five. So I thought, let's do a like, you know, I'm with family. We'd move back to Tatura. Let's just do an epic kids party. And um, it was July, happened to be like the most freezing cold day of the whole year. The fog didn't even lift when people were arriving at 10 o'clock. It was just, I'm like, what, what have I done? Like, you know, I've got grandpa who's here today. He's making um, trucks in the shed. The girls are creating something in the lounge room. I'm like, what have I done? What have I started? Anyway, apart from my personal chaos that I created, um, my three-year-old, he, he, there was something about the way he approached that day that actually blew me away. And it was funny. He's a kind of positive kid, but I was, I was watching him and his expectation that he was bringing to this day. And it was funny because I was watching all the parents who had bought um, a present, you know, on behalf of their kid because it's three. They don't really choose presents. It's like, yeah, here's a present to take to the party. And these parents would come with their kid and give my son a present. And my son would open it. He'd go, this is my favourite. And this mum, as a mum, you kind of like, that feels pretty good, right? You're like, whoa, I've really done it. And, um, and then he'd unwrap it, then they'd go and play. And then the next parent would come with the gift and Lee would open it. That's my son's name. And he'd go, oh, that's my favourite. 
And every gift, and I'm watching everyone go, oh, I nailed this kind of thing. But what I, what I had sat with me, my, my, my son is nearly 13, is that he had such expectation that he was going to receive so much good of what had been prepared for him. And I realized that, you know, we all have expectation. We all have expectation. You know, I'm just thinking of everyone today. You've walked in here with some sort of expectation. You know, is the coffee going to be good? That's an expectation. We all have coming to church. Okay, let's just caffeine in Jesus. Anyway, um, but, you know, maybe you have an expectation about the car park or the people who may or may not say hello or, you know, who's leading worship today and who is this person who's coming to preach anyway? Like, like we all bring expectation and they can be positive, they can be negative, they can be faith-filled, they can be cynical. But reality is we all carry expectation. So before we go any further, this is what I feel to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, so what were you expecting today? Are we going to get any honesty? <laughs> Did anyone feel like they got any truth? They're like, ah, it's expecting it's going to be awesome because it always is. Because this is what I have learned, much like my son, that my expectation is powerful in releasing what I receive. And we always think that we are subject to everyone else. No, actually, what we bring to the table is so significant. And as someone who is a daughter of God, who is a child of God, I want to receive everything that my father has prepared for me. I don't want to be the I don't want to be the stopgap in this. And sometimes like I said before we can get so in our world that we forget actually there is a God in heaven who has so much for us and he is wanting to pour it out through us. But what I've learned and this is the annoying part <laughs> is that I actually have a part to play in this. And so a part of what I wanted to do this morning is share a little bit more of my story. And I have to be honest with you, um, the part of my story I'm going to share, I'm like, really, God? Because um, like we all have a story and we all have parts. It's an ongoing testimony, really. I mean, I could tell you things of what God has done in the last few months. I could tell you what happened last year. Michael and I had, Michael and I had some significant things that came up that potentially would have shifted our future. I'm like, God, I could talk about any of these. He said, no, I want you to talk about this particular season. Just briefly, and the reason for this is because I was confronted so um, deeply and significantly about really what I expected of God. As someone who's really walked with God a lot of my life and, you know, really my expectation has probably ebbed and flowed and shifted in different seasons. But in this particular season, it's like I was smacked in the face. Well, Kirsten, who do you actually expect God to be in this season? And I couldn't ignore it. I couldn't ignore what God's promises meant um, if I did or did not create the space for him to intervene. So really, what I want to do, I'm just going to talk about it briefly. It's a season, it was actually June 2016. And um, the irony of this season, um, as church leaders, we had been leading our church for six years, is that we had called this year Strong 2016. We felt like it was a statement we wanted to declare over our church. And um, the beginning of the previous year, um, beginning of 2015, Michael and I kind of felt, well, we've been leading our church only five years and we feel like we've worked really hard. We've carried a really big load. And there was a lot of stuff about, you know, our journey into senior leadership in Wodonga that was really beautiful. 
And at the same time, there was a lot of stuff that was actually very traumatic. Um, and so we got to that, you know, the beginning of 2015 and went, well, I think we need to switch a few things up. And like, we need to work out how we do this next season. Long story short, 18 months later, we are done. We are emotionally spent. We are physically spent. Um, we couldn't really, we couldn't really get forward, um, make a way forward. People around us were trying to help us, but really, it just wasn't helping. <laughs> you know, when you're in those seasons, you're like, I know you're trying to help, but it's just not helping. And we just weren't sort of seeing. You know, it was just a really challenging season and it sort of all culminated in June 2016 where our board came to us and said, hey, I think you guys need to take some time off. And I'm married to a guy who is like, we're just going to take the world and we're going to smash it down and we just, we never stop. <laughs> Maybe insightful for why we ended up here. Anyway, and, um, and he's just like, and they said this to us and he just went, no. He said, no, like we've got God's work to do. And then within a split second, he said, I'm done. Huh. Revisiting this is a little challenging, but stick with me, all right? Because God is so good. Um, and so um, we had that conversation. We just burst into tears because that's what you do in these seasons. <laughs> and thought, well, we probably should listen to this. <laughs> and then um, within, within three days, um, I think it was, um, we had... Over a period of 24 hours, we had transitioned, well, we had tried to transition our kids into um, this news that their parents are going to take time off. I'd actually, the next day from this conversation, I had pulled my kids out of school for a term. Um, and then we just knew that in two days after all of that, that um, we were telling our church that we would be away for a significant amount of time. As a mum of three... Oh, that's not talking about the kids. That's the challenging bit. You know, there was so much in that that I could probably spend another hour telling you of all the details of how God walked us through that and all the miracles he did. But we don't have time for it because I would just love to, but I might get to a bit more of it. But right now, in this particular point of time in my life, I was confronted with who is my God and what do I expect of him right now? Because... We actually, when we sat in that room, it was interesting. The board left. We just burst into tears. And my husband and I looked at each other and we said, we're going to New Zealand. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay. So within that period of telling our kids and then our church, we just said to them, um, we're going to take time off and we're actually going to go to New Zealand. And my kids are like, great, that's awesome. So how are we getting there? When are we going? And what are we doing? And we're like, no idea. We had zero, we can't. No one plans to take a term off school and go live in another country. Like, you just don't have that. And so within this season of me going, no, nah, I'm out of here. I'm done. I just want to take my family and I'm stick. I was actually so tired of fighting and contending. And we had to release all of that into a, a loving father that I knew a little bit of. But as I... Um, created space and filled it with hope-filled expectation that even though we had nothing to give, yeah, that he was able to. And so I, I gave God an ultimatum. I said, okay, God, we've told everyone we're leaving the country. I pulled my kids out of school 
And that was at the beginning of a three-week break that my kids have at their school. So it was the beginning of July. My kids' birthdays in July. I'm like, God, this is going to be a great distraction. So let me do parties. Let me just get my head around this. But in three weeks, God, I need a solution. I need, I need, I need a plan. And so everyone's like, so you go to New Zealand? We're like, yep, it's going to be awesome. Inside, I'm like, my whole world is kind of falling apart. But oh, yes, we're going. And I remember going, God, we know that you can come through. We know that you can do something. God, we know that you are our provider. And there's something about being a minister of the gospel where the rubber hits the road. It's like if we have given our life for this truth and this promise, I've got to really start living it. And so, yeah. And in this season, there was something of hope that rose up inside of me that said, God, I'm going to trust you. There are so many variables in this. And he just kept saying to me, you know, anxiety can get crazy in these seasons because you think down all these things that could happen, right? And God said to me, you need to stay focused on the opportunity. You're going to take your family to New Zealand. And I was like, okay. And I remember one day sitting on my bed and I said, God, I can't make any of this happen. And I was staring at the back of my door and he spoke to me. He said, but what if this could be part of your story, Kirsten? And I was like, I felt like, great. I need that space. I need the what if. What if God did show up? What if God actually did the miraculous? What if God actually, he knows that we were going to land here and he may have all these things over there that we need so that we can heal, so that we can not become a statistic in this. Because that felt really real at that time. I said, God, I refuse because your church is supposed to be glorious. And I said, and this is not it. And I, I said, I refuse to back out. But right now, I just need a good dad who's going to look after us. And so all through the Bible, we see this wrestle. We see this wrestle with people's humanity and the promises of God and the, the, the plans of God that go so beyond what we could even, we can't even if we're the smartest people on the planet, we couldn't even outwork what God wants to do in and through us. And so just quickly, and I'll tell a bit more of my story after this, I just really quickly want to take you to Mark 5. Because like I said, who we are, you know, really the expectation that we bring shifts so much about what we receive. And even if we have nothing else, the fact that we have God who is able is enough. Because sometimes we think we can only come to God if we have all of this sorted. Well, I'm not feeling like I got faith today. I'm not feeling like this. God, this hurts. This is painful. All we, and, so, and do you know what we do? We shut down and we feel like God doesn't accept us. Now, God is actually wanting to go, no, no, this is where I get to take over. This is where I get to show up. This is where I actually get the opportunity to do the miraculous. And so just quickly in Mark 5, I don't know whether you're familiar with this story. I'm not going to read it. So I want you to go, you maybe go home and read it this week. But pretty much the crux of the story is this. There's two people who are introduced to us in Mark 5, 21. One of them is Jairus. He's a leader in the synagogue and his daughter is really sick. The other is a woman who we know, which is an interesting title, she's a woman with the issue of blood. And in their moment that is recorded here, Jesus is going about his business. He's, you know, he just had a bit of a wild ride just before this. He'd cast some demons into the pigs and that was all a bit, a bit of a stir, as you could imagine. I do feel sorry for the farmer who lost all his pigs. Anyway, that's another story. Um, you need to read it because that's before this. So Jesus come out of that and um, he's gone to the other side, it says, so he's got in a boat, had a bit of space, and of course there is a large crowd waiting for him. 
And in amongst that large crowd is both Jairus and this woman. And I was thinking about these two people and, you know, as a parent, if your child is sick, you'll do anything. And so Jairus, maybe he tried everything, but on this day, he's like, the only person who's going to make a difference is Jesus. I'd imagine he'd heard about his miracles and he's like, if it is all possible that what I've heard about this man can become a reality in my family, I'm going to go there. I'm going to find him. I'm going to try and get up close to him. I'm not going to stand back and go, well, if he happens to walk towards me, well, then I might give you my request. No, he is in there. And he says, look, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you come? If you just come, she's going to be made well. He was a man of faith. And then you've got this woman who she would have been in a very unpleasant state. She would have been so desperate for Jesus to do something. She didn't even care about probably what she looked like, what she smelled like, what people thought of her. And she, I imagine, crawled up through this crowd. The desperation in her caused her to do things that she wouldn't normally do in any other situation. And because of that... These two people, as they approached Jesus, as soon as this woman touched Jesus, she was, it says that she was immediately healed. And you know, I, I, I look at that and I say, Jesus, I want some more immediately's actually. <laughs> I want to see this. This is what you do. But what's interesting is Jesus affirms, actually, woman, it is your faith that made you well. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That's annoying. <laughs> really? I have to have faith? But then my Bible says, faith is small as a mustard seed. And, you know, even if we don't have faith, that's when we go, God, I need faith. Just inviting God in creates faith within us. And so because this woman dared to believe that Jesus could be her miracle, she, she touches him and immediately she's healed. And like I said, it's her faith that made her well. But it was her desperation that did that. Then you got Jairus. So you've got that situation. And then I find it so interesting. If you read the scriptures, when Jesus is going to Jairus' house, he actually is intentional about only taking three people with him. And I was like, whoa, I reckon Jesus needed people who had faithful expectation to be in that room because when he arrives, they said, you're late. She's dead. He's confronted with this emotion of grieving people. And I don't know about you, that's a hard place to be. So even Jesus needed people around him who were faith-filled and said, I need you three people to come with me. They enter the room. He pick, takes her by the hand. She right, He says, she's just sleeping. <laughs> yes, amen. So Jesus, Jesus is, he is the miracle worker. He does incredible things when we make space for him to do what only he can do. But it requires us to create the space for Jesus to actually do it. And I'm... Uh, I don't know that I'm really happy about that still. Like, Jesus, can't you just kind of just fix it all? Do you feel like that? But what I've learned is it's what happens in us in these seasons that is so significant. Okay, I'm going to go on. I'll get back to that. I was going to go somewhere. So you've got this miraculous. Jesus has done the miraculous. So I'm feeling pretty pumped about this, right? I'm like, if I can have some faith, if I can invite Jesus in, he's going to do the miraculous. And they'll be thinking, Jesus, you can do this anywhere. And if you go into chapter 6, this is, again, where it feels very challenging. So Jesus goes from this place where he's done these miracles. 
and like they're the two that are recorded. Who else? I mean, who knows what else? I mean, it says that it's it's said that you couldn't even record everything that he's done. So you know, we get a little insight into those. But then this is so interesting because from there Jesus actually goes to his hometown in chapter six. He was accompanied by his disciples. And I want to read it. So verse 2 of chapter 6 says this. It says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, which is what he did, and many who heard him, they were amazed. They got a group of people in his hometown going, well, this guy's pretty, he's pretty good. And then the crowd, probably his schoolmates, probably his teacher, you know, his carpenter, apprentice person, whatever, oversight, whatever that works, was there. And they started to say things like, where did, where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? And you can almost hear the sarcasm in their voice. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon? And pff, aren't, aren't these his sisters? And it says that in his hometown that these people took offense at him. And it says in verse 4, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town and among his relatives. And in verse 5, it says he could, do, um, he could not do any miracles there. Then it says, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Bible is confusing. <laughs> but if the overall sentiment was, even though Jesus actually did a few miracles, which is pretty amazing... But really, they were like, he couldn't do anything. Do you know why? It's because the people came and they were familiar with Jesus. They were like, Jesus, I mean, isn't he just, he's just the guy we played football with. This is the guy who did whatever. And because of their lack of expectation, their lack of faith, they could, Jesus couldn't do anything. And I'm like, no, no, God, you can do, you can do whatever you want. No, no. And he can. So I don't want you to think that God can override anything. God can show up now. He can do whatever he wants regardless of us. That's also through scripture. But there's a principle here that I feel like God is wanting to just impress on us that our expectation, who we believe Jesus is, actually matters in allowing him to do what he can do. Can someone say amen? It's the connection to Jesus. This is our source of hope. He is our source of life. And you know what? In this season that I was just mentioned before in 2016, I realized that, you know, in so many seasons in my life, I had become really familiar, familiar with who Jesus was. You know, because sometimes when life is a cruisy, we just cruise. There is this, and, and do you know what? I actually shifted in this season to going, okay, God, if you're the God of the miraculous, if you're the God who can do, you know, abundantly more than we could hope, think, or imagine, what does it take for me to actually open the space for you to do that? And we all know that in places of desperation and challenge where we, you know, we're independent people, we got all going on, we can sort anything out. When all of our options stop and we finally get to the point where we're like, if God doesn't show up, we are so stuffed. I feel like God's like, finally, <laughs> finally, they'll actually get to see how good that I am, how much goodness I want to pour into their life. And so, I, yeah, in this season, 
I learned something about what desperation does in allowing room for this. And I have learned that, you know, even like it was funny over Christmas, my body is triggering it in stress. And I'm like, ah, what is going on, God? And I realized that God's like, your expectation is that I'm not going to be in your future in this department. And I'm like, whoa, thinking, haven't I learned? <laughs> Seriously. But if you stop and if you think, okay, I am stressed right now, I am, I've got fear talking at me, I am just can't stop thinking about stuff. Actually, if you stop and think, okay, what am I afraid of right now? What you're afraid of is a, a future that's predicted without God. That's what that is. Because, you know, if you think about me, I'm like, yeah, I'm taking my, my family to New Zealand. My biggest fear is that I'd be stuck in my house for the next 10 weeks, that God wouldn't come through. That was my fear. And I'm like, no, no, well, that's a future without God. Because if God's in it, anything is possible. And so I just want to tell you, just a really short, because it's kind of fun. But, you know, with that whole scenario around that season, I said before that I gave God three weeks. I said, God, after three weeks, I need a plan because I want to send my back kids back to school, which I did. And then I remembered, I pulled them out of school. So that's not going to happen. And um, I told the, the school... And it was my daughter's um, birthday party. We had done three weeks. This is the Friday night going into Saturday. School term three starts on the Monday. And I'm feeling a little stressed. <laughs> my daughter's party and um, we had a sleepover and I went to bed that night. And I had these really strange words in my spirit. I said, I will not be made a fool. And I was like, that's weird. And I was lying in my bed and I said, God, you're a good father. And I need a good dad right now to show up. And I felt this war in my spirit and it was so strong because I had put an end date on this and this was the next day. And so I wake up in the morning and I've got a lot of girls in my house, which kind of was all part of the distraction, which was great. And I'm like, God, what are we doing? But I, all I know is I don't want to... There was something inside me that didn't want to entertain not having God in the picture. Like, what was I going to do? So I was like, I just stay on this side of the island and I'm going to keep trusting you. And so I literally, I dropped, I had to go drop the kids off because it was, um, it was a sleepover. And I was at the final house and I was just about to leave and then confront this very strong reality. <laughs> Dang, what are we going to do? And Michael gives me a phone call as I'm leaving this house. This is only one of the small miracles, but it was the beginning of a lot. And uh, he rings me. He said, I just had a phone call from somebody. And I'm like, okay. And he said, um, they're actually a relative of someone in our church. Um, she has a house in the North Island of New Zealand and are gifting it to us for 12 weeks. And I was like, whoa. You know, that whole like adrenaline rush vibe thing. I was like, whoa. I said, serious? And I'm like, kids, we're going to New Zealand. And they're like, what? I said, we got a house. I'm like, what does it look like? I said, I don't care. <laughs> I said, I don't care. And I, this, this was like, oh my goodness, God came through. He came through. And we had enough money to fly our family over there. That was it. That weekend, I was like, God, I need passports for all three of my kids. And that weekend, we got a gift in our hands. I said, tomorrow, kids, we're going to get passports. They're like, when are we leaving? Not sure. <laughs> but the miracle is in motion. And one thing about this season that God impressed on me, and I want to say this to parents and grandparents, as I am 
managing my kids' grief in this, to be honest, part of it. Like my, one of my daughters had, she had two shows that she was working towards. And when we flicked that calendar that day that we told them and she saw that, she just lost it. And I was like, God, we actually get an opportunity here. And how do I navigate my kids in this? And this is what he said. He said, you've got to understand this is about their faith journey as well. And so there was something in me that I had to go, God, I need you to look after me in this season for what my expectations of you. But I need you to teach me how to teach them to do the same. And that took a lot of, um, took a lot of self-control on my part. I was the protector of our family, protector of my kids. And it was a transition for me to go, God, I expect for me now that you are, you are absolutely our provider. You're a good dad, everything we need. Like in that season, I learned, and if the worship team wants to come up, that, my, that you know, there can be joy in every situation regardless of the pain. And that was a promise I went for. I said, God, you promised abundant life. So I expect that in this season. Because I said, this doesn't feel like abundant life. But just because it doesn't feel like it, and there's a disparity between the promises doesn't mean we back off. We go, you know what, God, this is a promise that you say. So I expect that right now I will start to experience what you mean when you say abundant life. And I refuse to, to, to accept anything different. And, you know, because my expectation of God shifted, I then in those situations where I'm like, this is all going pear shape. I don't know how to do this. I'm like, God, I need to create space for you. And that, do you know what that does? That will shift the atmosphere around your life. Because when we don't have expectation, faith-filled, hope-filled expectation, our natural default is fear-filled expectation. And what that does then, it will create an atmosphere around your life that will diminish what God has for you. And so I want, you know, I feel like we're, we're all in this together. God is wanting to pour out so much through us, but it, it comes from us. You know, that whatever situation you find yourself in in 2020, that you're like, God, this might suck right now. This is actually really painful right now. But I want to experience in this moment what your truth is, what your promises are. And do you know what? In that, you'll experience so much of God that it will actually, what it does, it digs a well within you that then can, it almost like it creates more space for God to, to live and breathe in you. And so I just want to pray for you. So if you just want to stand. Oh, my time is so done. I want to pray for you. Just really quickly. You know, because there's one side of this that I just want to read. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, there are seasons we have to recognise. Yes, God, I feel disappointed. I feel like... I can't even find that faith. And we need to allow Jesus into those spaces. Say, God, I know this is not what you want me to live in. And if that is you right now, I just want you to lift your hands. You're like, God, I want to be full of faith in this next season. I want to live in every moment with an expectation that doesn't matter what happens, God, that if you give me hope for my future, I can wake up every day in faith, knowing that, God, you are able to do immeasurably more than we could hope, think, or imagine. I just want to declare that there is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. I want to declare that God is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. That all things work together for good for those who love Him. The old has gone. The new has come. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. 
declare that you are a child of God and He is a good dad who will look after everything that your heart desires. You know, that you have access to all of the promises. He will never leave you or forsake you. His goodness is always towards you and that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, He lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. And so, Father God, in this place, I just pray, God, for a release of people's hearts to trust. I just pray for a release, God, of layers of callous that maybe have come over hearts. Just say, God, I just think it's too scary. I just need to, you know, I just pray that self-protection will just go to God protection. And I just pray that in this place, people will be bold and courageous to hold their nerve and go, God, if you say it, I'm going to live on the edge because that's where the miraculous actually is found. And so, God, I just pray for every individual. I pray for their families. God, and I just pray, God, that they will live in the reality of what your word speaks. That every day, God, doesn't matter what happens, God, they will know that you are able and that you are with them, that you love them, that your power is in them. And God, you want to release heaven, the kingdom heaven through them first, in them first and through them. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To stay in touch with Encounter, follow us on Instagram at encounter.cc or find us on Facebook at encounter.shepparton.